In this programme in the series, we'll be talking about some of the duties and rights to do with employment, and particularly in light of government legislation. Now, this is a particularly complex and subtle area. That's why I've come here to talk to Neil Thomas and Jonathan Mansfield. They are specialist lawyers in that employment area. Neil, the title of this particular part of this programme is called How to Conduct a Disciplinary Hearing. Why is that such an issue? Every year, the employment tribunals up and down the country receive thousands of claims for unfair dismissal. When tribunals look at claims, they will consider very closely whether a fair procedure was followed. In many cases, a dismissal which would otherwise have been justified would be found to be unfair because an incorrect procedure was followed. The government's first attempt to deal with this was to announce a compulsory statutory procedure Unfortunately, this only succeeded in making the litigation process more complicated. Now, they have opted for underlining the importance of the code of practice of the state-funded conciliation service ACAS. This means that employment tribunals can take into account whether or not a fair procedure has been followed and use its discretion to increase any award by up to 25% made by the employment tribunal if this code of practice has not been followed. So Jonathan, what rules does the employer have to be aware of? The first thing the employer has to be aware of is the unfair dismissal legislation. Every employee with one year's continuous service has the right to claim unfair dismissal and will succeed if the employer does not apply certain standards under fair procedure. An employment tribunal, in considering the procedural aspect, will take into account firstly the rules of natural justice, Secondly, standards developed through its own case law. And finally, whether the ACAS Code of Practice Number 1 disciplinary and grievance procedures has been followed. What is the point in having all these procedures? Well, disciplinary procedures promote good employee relations. And they are essential in ensuring that employees are dealt with consistently and fairly. Of course, carrying out a disciplinary procedure is a complicated matter and the cost of getting it wrong, as we know, is very expensive. Oh, John, I've, uh, I've had another call from Planet Electrical. They said they haven't received their latest order of DVD players. They had a three-day wait. Uh, what is the stock situation? Well, it's pretty crazy down there, but it's all under control. <laughs> I don't know why the customer's complaining. Well, he is. <laughs> Oh, uh, listen, there is uh, there's something else I wanted to talk to you about. Um, do you think you're maybe being a little hot-headed in the way you deal with the staff? I mean, did I hear that yesterday you just flew off the handle over some stupid little thing? Overreacting to situations? Any idea what I'm talking about? That's a load of bollocks. There's no sodding way I'd overreact. Good answer. Listen, so Spurs beat Arsenal. Get over it. Can't walk around like a bear with a sore head all the time. I'll get back to you. Did you growl something? You right, John? You look like you've done three rounds with Mike Tyson. Well, Steve, he reckons I haven't got a grip on the warehouse. Some uh, DVD players have gone missing. Between you and me, according to Pete, you need look no further than Joe. But don't say I said anything. Hello, Joe. What do you want this then? He's 60 by 3. Ah, oh, Joe, I uh, want a word with you. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, I've just had a rollicking from Steve. Uh, Planet Electrical Systems been on complaining that they didn't have enough DVDs to fulfil their order. Now, how does that happen? I have got the sheets here. There is enough in stock, but they were five short. So what's going on? I don't know what you're talking about, mate. Everything's fine. No, no, no. We were short last month. So what's happening? Talk to me. I don't know. Um, maybe someone made a mistake counting them. I mean, that's always happening. It doesn't just happen. Someone makes it happen. And that someone is you. You're Nicky and DVD players, aren't you, son? What? You are a tea leaf. I know it. Everyone knows you, it. You look, you don't know what you're talking about. If some of them have gone missing, then fine. Some of them have gone missing. But it could have been anyone. No, no, no. You're responsible. You count all the stock in, you count all the stock out. They are not walking out on their own. You are responsible for the stock. Where is it going? Look, all I know is that it isn't me, all right? There's loads of people that work here. It could have been any of them. Oh, don't give me that. You are nicking them, son. I should have known last month when those video players went missing. Right. So you can clear your locker and keep walking. You're sacked. John? So basically, what's wrong with that? After all, um, John knows that Joe stole the DVDs because after all, Peter told him so. That's fine, but you haven't corroborated Peter's story. For all we know, Peter may hold a grudge against Joe and also Joe hasn't had the opportunity to defend himself against the allegations put against him. Oh, John, what's going on? Ah, yes, I found out what's been happening. Joe has been stealing the DVD oh. players. I went down to the warehouse and checked myself. Now, there was certainly enough in stock, but instead of sending them out, he has been nicking them. Now, I'm sorry, Steve, I should have spotted it last month when those video players went missing, but uh, anyway, I got in this time, and I have given him his cards. You sacked him on the spot? Mm-hmm. Well, well, you did the right thing, but there's some kind of procedure, I think, that. Yeah, you have to uh, put it in a letter, get him to come and see you, and then see what he's got to say. Uh, Charlotte, can you come here a minute? Sorry. It, does this sound all right? Dear Joe, this letter confirms that you've been dismissed for gross misconduct with effect from today's date. Please find enclosed your P45 and final payslip. If you wish to appeal against this decision, you may write to me within one week, setting out the reasons why. Yours faithfully. Mm, that sounds all right. Um, I think I'd put yours sincerely if I'm addressing it to a known name, though. I'm sacking him. Fair enough. OK, Joe. Anything to say? Look, it wasn't me. It could have been anyone. I'm not the only person working in the warehouse. No, but you're responsible for stock, and it's stock that is missing. Is that it? Is that all you've got to say? You're a tea leaf, son. Now go on, get out. That is a bit abrupt, but basically it's okay, isn't it? I mean, he did follow a procedure. In actual fact, the process we've just seen did not follow the core elements of a fair procedure. These core elements are firstly that there should be a proper investigation of the case against any employee who might have been involved. Next, the employee must be informed in advance of any disciplinary hearing of the case against him or her, including both the allegations and the basis of the case, and that should be in writing. 
In addition to this, the employee must be given the opportunity to state their case and to bring his or her own evidence if they wish. The employee should also be given the opportunity to be accompanied by a work colleague or a certified trade union representative in any meeting. No decision to apply a disciplinary sanction should be made until all the facts have been established and the employee's representations on both the allegations itself and the sanction to be applied is considered. There should be no dismissal for a first offence, save in the case of gross misconduct. Following a disciplinary hearing, the employee should be informed of the decision in writing with an explanation of that decision and if a warning is given, the improvement required should be made clear. The final stage of the process is an appeal, with the employee being given the opportunity to do this in writing, setting out the reasons. In addition to the above, there is a general requirement that employers and employees deal with the issues promptly and without unreasonable delay. There is also a general principle that both the employers and employees should act consistently. Should a formal disciplinary procedure always be invoked if the employee steps out of line? Well, in most cases, whether it's an issue of conduct or an issue of performance, a quiet word is really all that's necessary. And the formal disciplinary procedure would only come in if that hadn't been effective. Of course, in the film, we're looking at a case of gross misconduct. So it's appropriate to go straight to the formal disciplinary procedure. What about where formal action is necessary? What procedures should initially follow? Well, in both performance and misconduct cases, the first thing to do, obviously, is to get to grips with the issues involved. In the case of performance issues, you need to consider what the issue is and the scope of the problem. And if it's a misconduct issue, then you need to instigate an investigation. So how do you begin? What's the first stage? Well, the first thing to consider is whether or not it would be appropriate to suspend the employee. Now, this would only take place in limited circumstances. For example, if there's an allegation of gross misconduct or dishonesty, such as theft, or if you consider the employees likely to cover up evidence or adversely affect or influence other witnesses. However, it's important to remember that if you are suspending an employee, then it must be done on full pay and benefits and without prejudice. When you've actually considered suspension, what then? Investigation starts in earnest. And you'd need to look at the evidence that needs to be gathered. So you'd need to take copies of any documents and interview witnesses. When you're interviewing a witness, then it's important the interview should take place in a room which is private and in which the witness will feel comfortable to give the evidence. When you're collecting the evidence, you should let the employee tell the story as it happened in their own eyes. Make sure that when you're collecting the evidence, you collect important information, such as time of the incident, whether there were any other witnesses present, and any other factors that you consider important to the case. Each disciplinary offence has different circumstances, as you can appreciate. Come in. Come and sit down. Shut the door. Right. Now, um, I've had a complaint from Planet. 
Last month, their delivery of DVD players was five short. Now, I've checked the records and we had sufficient in stock, so um, I can't account for any uh, discrepancy. Got any thoughts? No, John, I've got no idea, mate. Well, in that case, I am going to have to investigate f further and come back to you on a more formal basis. Uh, because shortage of stock is a serious irregularity, I'm going to have to suspend you from normal duties, but on full play and without prejudice until I can instigate a formal investigation. Does this mean you're disciplining me now? Oh, no, no, no. You're suspended on full pay and benefits whilst I carry out this investigation. There is no allegation of wrongdoing. This is just an investigation of an irregularity. So do you want me to come to work then? No, 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 no. No, you're not required to come to work. And I'd be grateful if you didn't contact any of your colleagues without consulting me first, yeah? Cool. Right. I just want to say something. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have been around the stock room during the week, and, I mean, Derek covers me sometimes. I mean, he could have done it. Ah, uh, Derek, the stock that went missing last week. Any thoughts? Didn't have any thoughts last week, Gov. I was on the holiday. Oh, yeah, so you were. Did you have a good time? Well, Marjorie had a tummy bug, so she had to stay in the room the whole week. Mm. <laughs> had a great time, actually, yeah. <laughs> oh, that. Uh, um, can you tell me what Pete knows about these stock shortages? I don't know anything. Pete doesn't want to get involved. Well, he is involved. Tell me about Joe, huh? Just let it go, John, please. He'll know I've said something. Look, you haven't said anything. No, and I'm not going to either. And don't put that down. What? Don't put anything down. He's threatened Pete. Look, I think he could be violent. He bumped into him after he'd been suspended and told him to keep his mouth shut or else. Was it serious? Yes, it was serious. We had to call the police. Well, just give me something. I mean, Pete can stay anonymous. What if the witness is afraid to give evidence? Well, first of all, you have to confirm whether the fears are grounded. If you have good reason to believe that they might be intimidated, say, physically threatened, then in exceptional circumstances, you can ask them to prepare anonymous witness statements, and they would set out the case in as full detail as possible, but blanking out names and other identifying factors. Because this kind of evidence is not as good as somebody who could be questioned in a direct way, you should think about the corroboratory evidence. Also consider whether the individuals might have some sort of grudge against the person who's being investigated. But it is still possible to test that evidence by allowing an individual who's being investigated to ask questions. How would they do that if they still wish to remain anonymous? In that case, the person being investigated should see the statement and should have the opportunity to put some questions in writing. Those questions could then be conveyed to the individual who has given the statement and the answers conveyed back to the person investigating. He was in the pub. Pete saw him. He was being all mouthy, saying he could get stuff. That's it. I'm not saying more than that. Well, that that's not quite enough. Which pub? When? What time? Who was he talking to? Who was present? What was he saying to them? Hmm? I'll have another word with Pete, but I can't promise anything. John, I understand that it's important, but he's threatened me, as you know. All right, OK, I'll come and give you a statement, but only if you can guarantee that I'm completely anonymous. He mustn't know who I am.
fine, okay, I'll do that. Uh, it was the night of the finals of the darts competition. Uh, your crowd was here, they won the semis. But to be honest, I can't remember if Joe was here. You know, busy night, sorry. Okay, thanks. Ah, Charlie, you got the tapes for me? Oh, cheers, mate. Yep, that's the one. Can you play that for me? Okay, you gather the information. What happens then? Well, then you have to consider whether or not there's a case to be answered. If there is a case to answer, what do you do then? Well, then you would write to the employee putting the allegations clearly in the letter. Include the evidence that had been gathered, copies of the witness statements, copies of any documentary evidence. Set up a disciplinary hearing at which they will have the opportunity to state their case. Also, inform them in that letter that they're going to have the right to be accompanied by a fellow employee or certified trade union representative. If the place of work has no recognition of a trade union, does the employee have the right to bring a union official? Legislation sets out very clearly that the employee has a right to be accompanied by a certified trade union official. So in that respect, it's irrelevant whether or not the employer recognises the union in the workplace. So what is the role of the employee's representative? It's one of moral support. Legally, the representative has a right to address the hearing, ask questions, but unfortunately the representative is not allowed to answer questions on behalf of the employee. So what other things do you cover in the letter sent to the employee? Well, when you write to the employee, as I've mentioned, you should refer to their right to have a representative. You obviously have to include practical information about the date, time and place. You would include relevant evidence. In addition, you should let them know the sanction that you're considering. And this is particularly important if you're considering dismissal, so that they know that such a drastic consequence could arise from the hearing. How quickly should the hearing take place? Well, reasonable notice must be given, having regard to the principle that there should not be an unnecessary delay. In most cases, two days advance notice will be sufficient, but in some cases, especially where dismissal is involved and there is considerable evidence to digest, it may be reasonable to give more time. Uh, come and tell me what you think of this. Dear Joe, I have now concluded my investigation into the stock irregularities and I've had an opportunity to interview a number of your work colleagues and the security guard. I've also had an opportunity to review the CCTV footage over the relevant dates. For your information, I enclose copies of the relevant stock and attendance records, witness statements and a videotape of the CCTV footage. I've come to conclusion that there is a case to answer and I would therefore like you to attend a formal disciplinary hearing next Thursday at 10am. The hearing will take place in the boardroom. You're allowed to bring with you a work colleague or a certified trade union representative. I must warn you that the theft of stock is a serious allegation. And as you are aware, according to the company's disciplinary procedures, their copy enclosed, should you be found to be guilty of serious misconduct in this matter, you could be dismissed summarily without notice. 
Your representative will be allowed to ask questions and address the hearing, but not to answer questions on your behalf. Yours sincerely, John. Sincerely, that's nice. Yeah, thank you. Joe has been informed that the matter is now referred to another manager who will consider the matter and be the decision maker and will conduct the hearing. This manager, Dave Elliott, will be accompanied by Shirley Tavistock from Human Resources in a note-taking capacity. What if the employee is sick on the day the hearing is supposed to take place? Well, if the employer is unable to attend for unforeseeable reasons, then the meeting should be reconvened to a reasonable time and place where the employee can attend. Uh, did you deal with this letter Joe sent? Um, it says his representative isn't able to attend the meeting, but asking if we can rearrange it for Monday. Just done it. Great. Mm. I've said, uh, thank you for your letter requesting a postponement of the hearing set for next Monday. You're entitled to request a postponement of the meeting if it is inconvenient for your representative up to five working days from the original hearing. In the circumstances, I'm not prepared to delay the matter by a week, but propose that we reconvene the meeting for the morning of Friday of the coming week at the same time and place. Please telephone me to confirm that you will be attending yours sincerely. Ah, that'll be my birthday. Um, we could all go out somewhere for lunch or something. I don't know if Joe will want to come with us, though. I won't put it in the letter for the moment. How should the meeting be conducted? You should always make sure that it is conducted in a room which is private. The employer should then introduce all those present and make sure that there is a note taker there to record everything that's been said. It is important to make sure that the whole procedure is not rushed. Then you should run through the complaint against the employee, run through the evidence and state the sanction that is being considered as a result of the alleged offence. Witnesses can be called if appropriate, but in any case, check that all the evidence is available to the employee. The employee can also bring witnesses, but must be able to comment on the facts of the case. The most important thing is that the employee has the opportunity to state their case. And what if there's new evidence? It is important to adjourn the hearing and investigate rather than continue and make any mistakes. Should the employee be given the right to cross-examine the witness? Well, there isn't a fundamental right to cross-examine, but it's very important that the evidence of witnesses is open to question. On occasions where something new arises also, it may be necessary to go back to those witnesses again and put further questions to them. Morning, Joe. Uh, first of all, let me introduce everyone present. Joe, who's decided to bring his work colleague Trevor with him. There's me, Dave Elliott, and Shirley Tavistock, who's here purely in a note-taking capacity. Okay, Joe. Now, as you can see from the, the statements and the accompanying stockroom control sheets gathered by John during his investigation, it seems to me that we have sufficient stock to send out to Planet during the week in question, but five DVD players were missing and the delivery was short. Now, in his investigation, John has spoken to the only other person who would have had access to the stock during the relevant period, and you will notice that one of the witness statements I have blanked out the name, so that you could not identify who has given the statement. However, if you do wish to question the individual, you may put your questions in writing, and I will arrange for a response. 
So what they say is that during the week you had offered them a DVD player for £25 at the pub and also a security guard confirmed seeing you during the night in question after work loading up your car with five boxes. And that's also confirmed by the CCTV footage where you're, you're clearly seen putting five boxes into the boot of your car. The allegation, Joe, is that you stole the five DVD players on the day before they were due to be delivered. So, what have you got to say about it? You haven't actually proved that Joe's done anything. Things have gone missing in the past and I don't think you've proved anything. No, 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 I, I'm sorry, but you must let Joe answer the question. Look, I don't know anything about the DVDs going missing. It is true that from time to time we have had problems with the stock that is not accounted for. But as you know, Derek has access to the storerooms. And if someone told you that I'm selling DVDs, well, not only is that completely wrong, but it's a total lie. I mean, why would I do that? Why would I risk my job? As for the boxes, I was taking them home, that's true. OK, Trevor, if you would like to put your questions to Derek. So, Derek, you have the uh, keys to the stockroom? Yes. Were you working on Wednesday the 20th? No. Oh. What about Thursday the 21st? No. Oh. <laughs> Sun, sea, sand and food poisoning. Bloody marvellous. <laughs> Look, that guy who said I was selling him in the pub, I'd like to get him in here and ask him some questions. Why can't I see him? Look, if I get hold of him, I'm going to strangle him. Just bring him in here and let me ask him some questions. I don't see why I can't. Look, I I'm sorry, Joe, but I'm concerned about the safety of that person. I'm not going to allow you to identify the witness concerned. However, should you have any questions, then I'll be happy to put them to him or her on your behalf. Look, you can't just expect me to come up with some questions just off the top of my head like that. Look, what I want now is just half an hour with my representative and we'll work out some questions. Is that OK? Yes, uh, I've got no problem with that. Shirley and I will leave you for 45 minutes, and if you come up with some questions, we will put them to the individual concerned. Was I in the pub on the day in question? Yeah, it was the finals of the darts playoffs. Oh, yeah. Do you reckon they can prove that? OK. Joe or Trevor, have you got anything else to add? No. In that case, I'll now go away and consider all the evidence and what you've said, and I'll give you my decision in writing. How should the meeting be concluded? Ask the employee to summarise their case. Give the employee the opportunity to put forward any questions which may be outstanding, and importantly, you should give the employee the opportunity to comment on any sanction that you may be considering as a result of the allegations. And finally, of course, whether or not there is any mitigating circumstances that should be taken into consideration once the decision has been made. What factors should be considered when trying to make that decision? Well, a tribunal would ask the question when examining the decision as to whether the employer had an honest belief based on reasonable grounds and after so much of an investigation as is reasonable in all the circumstances. Of course, you will have to obtain facts and sometimes you have a situation where there has been conflicting evidence. Do you have to prove guilt beyond any reasonable doubt? No, you don't. You have to make a reasonable assessment on the evidence that's before you. 
the criminal standard of proof that you mentioned is not applied. But if you can prove it on the balance of probability, that will be sufficient. When should this decision be made? Well, the important thing is not to rush into a decision. In most cases, what you should do is adjourn the meeting, go away and consider all the evidence. You may have to think about whether there's a conflict of evidence, whether a particular witness has a reason to lie, and if so, investigate further. And what next? Once you have come to a conclusion and uphold the allegation, you want to consider whether there are any mitigating circumstances. You should also consider your own disciplinary rules and procedures as to whether it will be appropriate to dismiss. Dismissal is only going to be justified in the case of gross misconduct for a first offence. Otherwise, you will need to take into account whether there have been previous warnings and, in fact, a final written warning on the previous occasion misconduct was committed. Then write to the employee giving the reasons. Following the hearing, this is the text of the dismissal letter that was sent. Dear Joe, on the basis of the information you gave me at the disciplinary hearing and on the basis of the evidence gathered, I confirm that I have decided that you did steal the DVD players. I have taken into account the CCTV evidence which showed you placing boxes in your car boot on the night in question and witness evidence which indicated that you were trying to sell DVD players in the pub. I have also considered the stock records which indicate the players were unaccounted for. I have also considered who else might have been responsible and in particular Derek who was in fact out of the country at the time. I believe that on the balance of probabilities you are guilty of an act of gross misconduct warranting summary dismissal. Your employment will terminate with immediate effect and you will receive outstanding pay up until today together with five days accrued but untaken holiday. Should you wish to appeal my decision, you should do so within five working days to the managing director stating the grounds of appeal. I also enclose notes taken by Shirley Tavistock during the course of the meeting. Yours sincerely. What points should be borne in mind about the appeal? Well, the procedure should specify that a different manager holds the appeal and ideally that should be somebody in a more senior position. The same sort of criteria should apply if there is a disciplinary meeting. So it should be held in a private venue, a note taker should be present, the employee should be afforded the right to bring with him a colleague or certified trade union representative and importantly the employee should have had copies of all the documentary evidence prior to the meeting taking place. So how will the meeting start? The person holding the meeting should make the introductions as to who's present. They will present all the documentary evidence and the documents which were available at the original disciplinary hearing. The employee should then be invited to outline the reason why they are making the appeal and the grounds for the appeal and then the person holding the meeting should then go on to consider what the employee has got to say about it. And at the end of the meeting? Well, you'd ask the employee whether or not there is anything further to state, and then it's a question really of making the decision. It is advisable not to make the decision at the hearing itself, but take some time out, take a break, 
If necessary, mull it overnight and make the decision once you've had a good opportunity to consider all the evidence. At that stage, then you make your decision and send it in writing to the employee. And what are the final considerations? If your decision is to uphold the appeal, then it will be a question of reinstatement and when you reinstate the employee, it's important to ensure that the employee is put into the position as if no dismissal had ever taken place in the first place. So there'll be no loss of pay, no loss of benefits and no loss of continuity of service. In any case, you'll be, you will confirm your decision in writing, giving reasons. Okay, um, well thank you Joe for coming in and to your representative who was present at the disciplinary hearing and to Shirley who's here in a note-taking capacity. Now I see that you've got a copy of all the evidence that was considered at the disciplinary hearing and a copy of the disciplinary appeals procedure. Now um, you're appealing against the decision because you have an explanation as to why you were seen on the CCTV cameras carrying out a number of boxes, putting them in your car on or around the date that the stock went missing. Right, uh, well, just to remind you, the stock control information shows pretty clearly that the stock went missing on the day or the day before the delivery went to the customer. Okay, uh, well, it's really over to you at this stage. Um, well, I'd like you to say why you think the decision is incorrect. Well, I've uh, since then had time to remember that on that day I did, in fact, carry five boxes out to my car um, because I'm moving house. And that's why I'm seen carrying boxes out on the CCTV camera. I'm sorry I didn't mention this before, but it's only since I've had a chance to think about it that I remembered. Well, just to confirm, for the record, that that is the only ground for your appeal? Yes. So, uh, these boxes you took out were empties, or, or something like that, is that what you're saying? Yes, they're empty boxes. Okay, these were empty boxes. And uh, you say you're planning to move house. All right, well, um, I'm prepared to adjourn this hearing until tomorrow this stage, not make a final decision, uh, so that you can satisfy me that you are actually planning to move house. You want to see the place? It's a dump. Anyone would move. <laughs> okay, Joe, thank you for coming in again, and uh, to your representative, Trevor, and to Shirley again. Now, um, have you been able to come up with the evidence I asked for to show that you are actually planning to move house at this stage? Um, no, I haven't. Uh, but I do have the particulars, and I have been into the estate agents, and the estate agents is Green & Co. And I do have the particulars of the house. OK. Um, but you haven't got anything from the estate agent that confirms that you are actually planning to move house at this point, or nothing that shows that a move was already planned when all this took place. This is all you've got for me, is it? Well, what else can I say? Um, I do have the particulars. Okay, well, I'll, I'll give that some consideration, but um, you haven't got anything else for me, just, just this picture from the estate agents, from uh, Green and Company. No, that's it. Okay, Joe, well, uh, 
I'd like to uh, adjourn this meeting so I can make my decision. So I'd ask you to um, wait in the other room while I think about this. Come in. Thank you, Joe, for coming back in. Now, I've, uh, I've given some consideration to the point you've raised, and I notice that you are admitting that you left with five boxes, and that these boxes were for DVD players. And when I asked you to provide evidence that uh, you were planning to move house, you were very vague about um, when you were going to be moving and uh, what the properties involved were. I, f I find it very difficult to believe. Now, uh, the appeal. You said the boxes were for when you moved house. And I asked you to bring in some evidence to substantiate this and... Uh, well, the only evidence you've brought in was something you could have got at any estate agents. And there's no evidence that you were actually planning to move house at this stage. I, I, I telephoned the estate agents. They confirmed that the house you described hadn't even had an offer put in on it. Now, I, um, I think, therefore, there's, um, there's been an awful lot of inconsistency in your story. So in the circumstances, I, uh, I don't find your explanation credible and I regret to say that I have to uphold the original disciplinary decision to dismiss you. Now, this is the, uh, this is the final stage of the appeal procedure and uh, this decision will be confirmed in writing. And um, what about a situation where the employee raises a grievance during the hearing? Well, the ACAS code states the following. Where an employee raises a grievance during a disciplinary process, the disciplinary process may be temporarily suspended in order to deal with the grievance. Where the grievance and disciplinary cases are related, it may be appropriate to deal with both issues concurrently. Sometimes there will be an allegation of bias against the decision maker or someone else centrally involved in the disciplinary hearing. In such a case, you should consider appointing a different person, if practicable and reasonable. It is important that any process should follow the organisation's grievance procedure, which should itself be compliant with the ACAS code. How do approaches differ between performance and conduct? Well, in a performance case, it would be important to set out exactly what the performance problem is and the period of time, which must be a reasonable period of time, the employee to try and achieve that required standard. So let's say for example you give the employee a six-month time period then you may also want to incorporate a couple of review dates say after two months and after four months and at those review dates you should help and assist the employee if you can to try and ensure that the performance of the employee improves. After all that is the whole purpose of going through the procedure. You should also specify what might happen if the employee does not achieve the required standard and of course you might need to specify that dismissal may occur if the standard achieved is not satisfactory. And what about the case of misconduct? In the case of misconduct there would normally be a warning. This will either be an oral warning confirmed in writing or a written warning 
or if there have been several actions in the past or the misconduct is very serious, a final written warning. It should also state what the consequences of further action could be, which could be a further warning, or if it is a final written warning, dismissal on notice. Of course, with the example we give in the film, we're looking at a gross misconduct situation, and in that case, usually the appropriate action is going to be dismissal, and dismissal will be on a summary basis without notice. How many stages should a disciplinary procedure have exactly? Well, the ACAS Code of Practice specifies a minimum of three stages to the procedure. It talks about the first formal action to be followed by a final written warning and then dismissal. In actual fact, most company policies and procedures have a four-stage procedure, which consists of an oral warning, which is notified formally, a first written warning, a final written warning, and then dismissal. And normally, are all those steps followed in every case? In most cases, yes. But if there is an act of serious misconduct, it is often decided to jump over stages and go straight to a written warning. And of course, in gross misconduct, as we see in the video, in that case, summary dismissal will be justifiable. What information should the employer state in the letter to the employee if the sanction is not dismissal? Well, this would normally be a warning. So in that case, it's appropriate to state how long the warning will be in force. This will often be, say, six months in the case of an oral warning and 12 months in the case of a written warning. But that should also state that the employee has the right to appeal and that they should set out the grounds of appeal in writing and to whom that should go. It's also appropriate to set out the consequences in the case of misconduct of further actions of that kind, or in the case of performance, of further inadequate performance. The letter must also give the reasons for the decision. Who has the right to dismiss? Well, that should normally be the person who is authorised to make that decision within the company, and that person is normally specified within the disciplinary policy. So, by watching this programme, do you have all the facts that you need? Every disciplinary is going to have a different set of circumstances, and where there are ever any questions and answers by the employer, then they should seek independent legal advice. Remember, the consequences of not following the ACAS code is that a dismissal can not only be unfair, but compensation may be increased by up to 25%. So great care must be taken in any dismissal situation.